morning. My name is Stephanie Hill, and my family and I have been attending the church for a little over a year now. And this morning, I have the privilege of reading the scripture. So um, today we begin a new series, Witness. By studying the great commission of Jesus for his disciples to make disciples. Jesus wants to revive and renew his people by empowering us to reclaim the kingdom, priority of discipleship. Please join me in reading God's word. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am always with you to the end of the age. All flesh is grass and all that's beauteous like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Stephanie. Uh, greetings. I add my welcome to those that you've already heard. Thank you all so much for uh, sharing in Kathy. Thank you for your leadership with the Mission South champion team. It is a joy to participate in what God is doing around the world, isn't it? Is it a table for one up here? I mean, it's a joy to participate in what God's doing around the world, isn't it? Hey, now we're awake. Okay. There is coffee outside if you need it. Okay. So as Stephanie just read, we're beginning a new series this morning. It's called Witness. It's based in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, where Jesus uh, says to his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. And as we sit here now, we're kind of the ends of the earth of what that commission was to Jesus' disciples down in Jerusalem. And there are ends of the earth from us now. Who knew? The earth is round. It kind of confuses stuff. But we are going to begin this series by looking in Matthew chapter 28, the great commission of Jesus Christ. It's an appropriate thing to look at for us this week. If you were here last week, then you know we talked about what it means to reframe reality with the resurrection. We looked at the story of John chapter 11 uh, and how we can more faithfully and fruitfully, a, a view of God's mercy, just be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that was, uh, really got some traction with some folks. Um, a lot of people have followed up. I've written out, if you're interested, uh, that process just to have a redemptive uh, reset of your mind. I can email it to you. I did that last week for some groups that use the material. But it's appropriate for us this week because uh, Jesus is just risen from the grave. And he is giving this top priority for people that are witnesses to the resurrection, and it is to go make disciples. What I've realized through uh, just being a pastor for uh, several years is that the church generally has a difficulty in understanding what Jesus means by go and make disciples. So we're going to unpack that paradigm a little bit, uh, and I'm going to do it by diagnosing kind of the, the, a way that we look at it uh, inappropriately as the Western church today. I'm going to use two Texas 
sporting ana- analogies, all right? The first is NASCAR. So you see why I put that in quotes, sporting analogies. A lot of people think driving left for, for 500 miles is a sport. You know, maybe it is. I don't know. Uh, but Texas has one of the largest racetracks in the country. Did you know this? They built it to hold over 200,000 fans. When they built it, they put a 20,000-foot screen on the backside so that people could be engaged in the race three-day weekends, and it was just touted in the late 90s as the end-all, be-all of super speedways in the United States. This mentality that that people would come and gather in these huge gatherings, and, and those would be just catalytic for the NASCAR economy for super speedways. But here's what's happened. What's happened is that less and less people are going to NASCAR races. Less and less people are watching NASCAR races. So the three-day weekends have been turned into two-day weekends. The $200,000 seating has been transformed into a short track. And they're trying to innovate how they do the NASCAR Winston Cup. It's not Winston Cup anymore, whatever series it is now. Uh, And uh, even they're trying to be innovative. They just announced Uh, that they're going to do their first road race. Their drivers are going to have to turn right as they race through the streets of Chicago. And they will spend tens of millions of dollars just to get that race going. The big crowd, big stadium mentality, it's actually not working. Now, contrast that with another sport in Texas. A sport that isn't big crowds, and it isn't as seen, it isn't as flashy, Those are the sports of just outdoor activities of hunting and fishing, right? Now, let me ask you, how many NASCAR fans we got in here? Okay, crickets. How many people in here enjoy hunting and or fishing? Okay, so a lot of hands went up and a few clappers. Yeah, a lot of people do. And it's it's exactly the opposite. Rather than big crowds... You have uh, an unseen activity. Maybe that's because a lot of people are wearing camouflage when they do it. I don't know. But generally, they're sneaking off into the woods. They're going out to the rivers and the lakes of our state. uh, And they're doing it in a way that is intergenerational and relational. Passing down not just a skill, but something people love. Now, it's, it's, it's an interesting contrast because the big super speedway sport that is NASCAR is absolutely fading. And it was built upon, the whole ra- the racing industry was built upon the same thing that hunting and fishing is built upon. Intergenerational, relational, passing on a love and a skill. But it just had to do with cars. But now nobody works on cars anymore. Nobody's changing their own oil. Few people are. But very few people know what a, what, what, what a carburetor is, right? And how to fix one. Or, or what difference ball bearings make when you're driving and turning. And so the, the, the skill, the love, the passion of intergenerational relational car care is gone. And so the sport's probably not going to bounce back any time from any sort of innovation. But hunting and fishing. Hunting and fishing. Now that's something that is growing in popularity. So much so that this year estimated, uh, this is the research I could find, the Texas Motor Speedway event for this season's NASCAR is estimated to bring in over $100 million of economic impact in Dallas and the region. Pretty impressive. Do you know how much economic impact hunting and fishing is going to have in the state of Texas? 
literally billions and billions of dollars. Why? Because people have a love and a skill and intergenerationally, they're passing it down in relationship. The church in America for far too long has had a NASCAR mentality of discipleship. If you can just get to the big arenas, get to the big gatherings, get to the big services, you're probably going to catch something and maybe you'll be a Jesus follower. But where we are designed to find our sweet spot is this intergenerational, relational passion and love for Jesus and his word and that those skills in the art of godly living are passed down from one generation of Christians to another. And I'm going to tell you this. If the church can reclaim God's design for discipleship, then we can have a much larger impact than a multi-billion dollar economic impact that hunting and fishing can have. We will have a transforming kingdom impact that will be revival for our church on the one hand and transformation for our city on the other. And my hope is today as we unpack this passage that you will find a renewed passion for Jesus and an invigorating excitement about the purpose and the call that he has for you. So before we study the word of the Lord, will you go with me to the Lord of the word and let's pray together? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, your grace, your design for life and love. I ask that you would open our eyes by the power of your spirit. We want to know you more fully, Lord Jesus, so we can serve you more faithfully in all things. And we do pray that you would give us a hunger and thirst for righteousness, to walk in your ways and to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the living God, Jesus, he's resurrected from the grave. He loves you. And he has created you to follow him, to love him, to obey his teaching, and to lead others in loving and following Jesus in his teaching. This morning, we're going to look at two quick points from this. They're on the screen in front of you. But the first is this, that Jesus commands his disciples to make disciples. Now, you see this right at the end of the gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 19. It says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, all nations. Now, this has been traditionally called the Great Commission. And unfortunately, many Christians have taken this as the great suggestion, as if it's one of many options that Jesus gives us, and when we feel like it or we feel equipped enough, then we can start making disciples. But that's not this priority. This is a commission where the king of kings who's conquered the grave looks at his disciples and he commands us to go and make disciples. Now, a lot of us, as I've noted, have a hard time understanding what discipleship is. It's a confusing word. I was reminded of the confusion of words on Friday night. Our son is beginning a new football team at a new school, uh, and we were at the parents' meeting, and we were talking to a woman uh, who was a parent of another student, and, and we, we weren't really caught up. You know, she had been living in Germany. Their family had been living over there. And uh, we said, has your son played football before? So she said, well, he's played football, but, you know, not really football. And I was like, 
I was like a confused puppy. Like our puppy's just like, what? And, and, and she's talking about how he's played football, but he's got to have confidence in learning football. <laughs> this is like, sounds a little crazy. But it turns out that word football for people who have been living in Europe means what? Soccer. And don't even start a conversations with Canadians about football. It's just all kinds of crazy what they understand as football. But we understand just in normal reality that there are words that have different perspectives on context and what that word really means. Discipleship can mean the same kind of thing. Now, in an effort to bring cohesion to the definition of discipleship, I want to tell you about my own personal experience. Uh, In 2021, I decided that I was going to respond to an invitation from a pastor in town. His name's Kurt Freeman. Uh, He spends time discipling pastors. He's at Cross British Church. He's a good friend of mine. He's now pastored over 110 different pastors in the city. I jumped into a four-month program, meeting three times a month, um, and it's super formative for me, Uh, very formative for me. And I've started using his definition uh, of discipleship. And this is what, if I lead you in any way, shape, or form, this is our definition, our working definition of of discipleship. That we learn to enjoy Jesus, that's very reformed, by the way, answering the Westminster Shorter Catechism, what is your chief end? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. So we enjoy Jesus and to follow Jesus together so that we can show others how to love and follow Jesus too. So discipleship then is knowing the love of Christ, it's enjoying Christ in personal relationship and following him in community and humbling, leading others to love and follow Jesus too. Now, Jesus commands his disciples to go and make other disciples. Uh, This is, uh, he he commands them to do it uh, to all nations. This is something I think is really fun to even think about you all being here with us. We are so honored to be in partnership with you all. We can't wait to see how God uses you as you make disciples of future seminary students and graduate students and in your home church in Oaxaca uh, and around. We have seven different students that we uh, partner with and we need more prayer people because we have nine new applications. That's just simple praying with them. It's an opportunity to help them love and follow Jesus. Um, it's a great opportunity for just catch discipleship. We need more folks to do it. And to, to, we have emerging leaders support all over the country in our Cadillac version is in, in Mexico. Uh, we're grateful for that. So thanks for your leadership. All of you can participate. But Jesus isn't giving this command as some sort of special office. This isn't like, oh, only these select people are, are called to make disciples. It is for every single person who knows the grace of God, period, to make disciples of all nations. Now, this isn't a new commission from the Lord. Discipleship has been a part of the DNA of kingdom community from the beginning. The fountainhead of God's family is found in Genesis chapter 12 when God calls Abraham to himself. In chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, he says, I will bless you and you will bless all the nations of the earth, all the families of the earth. And as you keep reading the narrative about Abraham in Genesis, you see how he does it. He does it when we get to chapter 18, verse 19, by, quote, commanding your children and your household after you to keep the way of the Lord. How? 
is Abraham going to start a family that's going to bless all the families and all the nations of the earth? Answer, discipling his family, teaching them to love and to know the Lord and to walk in the ways of the Lord. And to prove it even further that this is normal in kingdom DNA for the community of God, I need only to remind you of, of, of relationships all throughout Scripture. Moses had his Joshua. Naomi had her Ruth. Elisha had his Elisha, right? Jesus had his 12. Paul had his Timothy. I could go on and on and on, but suffice it to say from these places of familiarity, discipleship is normal part of the DNA for the people of God. You see, we know God personally and we celebrate his grace by teaching people to follow him. And we do it corporately. Now, before this gets too intimidating, you say, Mitchell, I don't know if I know Jesus well enough to teach others the skill of the art of godly living. I just don't know if I can do it. Let me just encourage you. You already do it. If you have a skill or a passion like cooking, then maybe you watch YouTube to learn how to cook, but probably you had someone teach you recipes. Someone teach you how to cook the timing, the art of it, how to enhance it and make it flavorful, and how to even call audibles sometimes, right? When you're cooking, following the recipe is important, but even this, when you fail, to encourage you to keep going. But you can take that skill of cooking and you can apply it to any athletic event that you've participated in. You've had a coach that has trained you. Any class that you've taken, you've had a teacher that's walked with you. Any counselor that you've walked with in life, you've had a counselor that's helped you mentally and emotionally. These are taking skills and transferring those skills in the context of relationship. You're familiar with it. So don't be intimidated by it. But even more than that, even more than your familiarity, it's the fact that Jesus promised you, he covers all of your fears with the promise of his presence and his power. And this is where we begin to see the opportunity that we have. Um, and I have lost the third page of my notes. Don't worry, it's only a half a page. And I found it. Jesus covers our fears with his promises and his presence. Now, if you look at the passage, the, the command in verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's like the meat in the middle of this unbelievable sandwich of God's sovereign grace. Look at the bread on the top. Verse 18, Jesus came to them. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now look at the bottom slap of bread. I mean, this is better than La Panaderia stuff right here. He says, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, Jesus, more than familiarity, he promises, I am with you always, and all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do you understand the implications for our application of this command? It's phenomenal. Well, what if I get rejected? I mean, what if I, what if I ask somebody to disciple me and I get rejected? Who cares? 
You're accepted by the living God. And he promises to never leave you or forsake you. He's with you. And if a human rejects you, stinks for them, press on like Ruth. Ruth did not let Naomi not, he just clung to her. What if you want to invest in someone? You say, oh, I think you've got a lot of opportunity. I want to, can we meet for four months, five months? I want to help you catch the skill of the art of God living. What if they reject you? Oh gosh, that would be the end of the world, wouldn't it? No, it's an opportunity for you to pray for them and to discern who God is calling you to connect with. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to Jesus and he promises he's with you to never leave you, forsake you. Oh, here's one. You know, Mitchell, that sounds good, but what if my kids, what if my children think I'm crazy? Because we're going to start praying at times that isn't just at meals. We're going to start taking scripture and trying to read it. What if my teenagers make fun of me? Doesn't matter. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to you. Jesus is never going to leave you or forsake you. He's with you. Just walk forward. And the, the opinions of your teenagers are not the end of the world. All right? What if you say, Mitchell, what if my coworkers, what if they think I am crazy because I want to have a Bible study once a week and just be available for them to answer questions? I mean, what if they think I'm crazy, Pastor? Do you really want my coworkers to think I'm crazy? Don't you care at all, Pastor Mitchell? I care about you knowing and loving and following Jesus and helping others do it. And if God's leading you to do that at work, that's a good kind of crazy. Let them think you're crazy. What about, Mitchell, you don't understand. I'm a student. Do you know how difficult it is to stand for Christ and follow Christ? You really want me to invite people to come to a campus ministry or to meet with me regularly to talk about Jesus? Yeah. Jesus wants you to do it. Jesus invites you to do it. This is power. This is purpose that comes. And I say back to you, what if our neighbors, what if the neighborhoods of our city start to see transformed men and women because they discover the blessing of knowing God's grace and following God's priorities and living in obedience to God's design and we begin to reflect a new kind of humanity? What if our neighborhoods started to become restored? What if our city began to be transformed? What if lost people started seeing a life that was inviting because Christians were living in God's design? What if our church, rather than having a strategy where everything we have to do is an announcement in the bulletin and come to this thing, what if our primary strategy was to know Christ personally and to love one another in the name of Jesus fundamentally intentionally and in targeted ways so that we can grow in knowing, loving, and helping others to do so as well. What if that was our primary witness in loving our city? Friends, this is the invitation. And you say, Mitchell, I think I get what you're getting. You can stop yelling at me now. I will. I will. But not without first addressing what the primary hindrance is for us. And I'm reminded, just from Mark chapter 10, maybe you're familiar with the story of uh, the rich young ruler. There's a lot of churches that if you're rich and you're a ruler, then we'll make you an officer. Not here. 
not here. Today we have ordained, called, commissioned in our 930 service, our officers, and they're godly men and women who know Jesus and follow Jesus and are committed to making other people disciples that know and follow and love Jesus as well. But the rich young ruler, when he came to Christ, um, he didn't follow him. He didn't take up Jesus' invitation. Why is that? Because he was so preoccupied with his stuff, so preoccupied with his status, so preoccupied with his significance that he had in his social standing, that he couldn't leave it all and to follow Christ's call. He couldn't follow him. Now, we don't know in Scripture if the rich young ruler didn't continue to follow Christ to watch him die on the cross and find grace, but here's what we know. If you're like me, you identify with the rich young ruler more than you want to admit. And that's why, friends, Christ gave us this table. Because being a disciple never begins with our work for God. But it always begins with God's work for us. Grace is the ground on which we walk and follow Jesus. And so you can join me in confessing your failures, your frustrations with your own self and the church in general for having a NASCAR mentality when it comes to discipleship. Just get everybody in a room and hopefully something will be sticky and we can move on. It turns out following Jesus is a Monday to Saturday thing as well. In, in a hunting and fishing mentality of our faith, we can learn to really love the Lord. And in the context of intergenerational and intentional relationship, we can pass on that skill and the art of godly living when we know his grace. We can be accepted no matter where we are because we know that Christ was betrayed. And when he was betrayed, he was at table with his disciples. The night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, and he said, this is the blood of my new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sin. And as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And friends, he will come again. And in that moment, we will rejoice at the banquet of the kingdom of God, the feast of the wedding supper of the Lamb, where disciples from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation will just be lavished in his love. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness, that while we were still sinners, you died for us, and that by your grace, you invite us to follow you and to invite others to love and follow you as well. We thank you, Lord, that in your poverty, when you became human, we can find the richness of your grace, that we can feast on, Lord, your righteousness, even as we confess our unrighteousness. Lord, we thank you that uh, we can feast on belonging to you by your grace, even when acknowledging we've done nothing to be accepted by you and your love. 
Lord, we praise you for your faithfulness. And we ask that you would set apart this common and ordinary bread and cup and that you would use it to nourish our souls. Lord, awaken our hearts. We do pray for our church that your grace would revive us, that your word would renew us and restore us, and we would discover the power of responding to your grace by walking in your ways. Likewise, Lord, we pray for our neighbors that don't know you, our coworkers, our classmates, and even our family that are just floundering and living in the ways of the world. Lord, would you give us boldness in inviting them to know you, to love you, and to follow you, that they might know your love and be transformed by your grace too. And Lord, we pray for our city and our country and all the division and all the brokenness that is in the world around us. We pray that your church would be unified, that your bride would be glorified, that your name will be magnified. We love you, Lord, and we pray for you to meet us freshly in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite our servers, our elders, to please come forward. And when you come up, to grab the elements and return to your seats, and then we'll all partake of the meal together.